Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 13 of season 6, my US road trip part 2. In this season I kick things off with two weeks in New Orleans. There I head to a couple of competitions and spend some time hanging out with the who's who of Southern Barbecue. From there it's up to Kansas City for four days of Barbecue Nirvana at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's Annual Conference and Excellence Awards. The final two weeks of the journey see us head into Arkansas for some R&R, including bass fishing, monster trucks, a state cook-off association competition, an AK-47, and a brush with a tornado. And of course, you're coming with me. Legends of the barbecue scene don't come much bigger than Ray Dr. Barbecue Lampy. He got involved with the competitive barbecue scene when it first kicked off in the 1980s. Now he's apparently retired, and I do use that term very loosely. He's still extremely active in the comp scene as a brand ambassador for Big Green Egg. He's frequently involved in barbecue TV spots, and he's even opened a bricks and mortar barbecue joint in Florida, essentially bringing real barbecue to that part of the States. Man, I'm tired just talking about all that. With summer coming up, it's time for a new favorite barbecue t-shirt, and I've got just the thing for you. Drawing inspiration from the iconic barbecue pop culture art by Gil Elvgren, the Hail Mary tee is black like all good barbecue shirts should be, comes in both men's and women's cuts in a variety of sizes, and of course, features Mary. She likes her barbecue smoky, spicy, and just a little bit naughty. Check her out now at smokinghotconfessions.com shop. I'd also like to invite you to join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. If you're looking for a barbecue group full of open-minded people who just love to help each other out, the Smoking Hot Confessions community is a great place to continue the conversation. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really helps me spread that barbecue love. So without further ado, grab yourself a thick, salty slice of picanha and some Irish-up Alabama white sauce and join me as I get to take a trip in the Wayback Machine and find out what competition barbecue was like in the 1980s with the one and only Ray Dr. Barbecue Lampy. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long's it been since your last confession? trace the history of real barbecue in Australia, you will have come across Ranch Hand. Owner Cliff founded the company in 2010, mixing and selling barbecue rubs before most of us knew what barbecue rubs even were. In short, Cliff is an OG of the Australian barbecue scene. An American expat, Cliff is single-minded in his goal to deliver traditional southern recipes with fresh Aussie ingredients. And those recipes? They're secret family recipes dating back to the 1960s. The range of products is broad with something for everyone from the backyard grill master to competitive pit masters. Some of these delicious rubs include the Midnight Magic Rub, the Better Off Red Beetroot Rub and the Wild and Woolly Lamb and Game Rub. I got to taste the Midnight Magic Rub at a competition recently and I gotta say it's very, very good. So if you're looking for a barbecue rub that will wow family and friends as well as barbecue judges, do yourself a favour and head on over to ranchhand.com.au. That's ranchhand.com.au. 
www.radiomaria.com.au Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a very special episode for you today. I've got the one and only Ray, Dr. Barbecue Lampy. Ray, thank you so much for sharing some of your time today. Welcome to Smoking Hot Confessions. Welcome to The Confessional. And yeah, once again, welcome and thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. It's good to talk to everybody in Australia. I imagine I have some fans there. I haven't been, but I, I hopefully I've been around long enough that word of me has made its way to Australia. And, uh, you know, I mean, I love doing this kind of stuff. It, it's, uh, it, I, I once heard uh, many years ago, Sammy Davis Jr., who was a big star, I, you know, and, and he was talking to a guy on the radio, and the guy on the radio said, hey, thank you for taking the time to come on my show. And he said, hey, man, we're all in the same business. I've just been in it a little longer than you. Wow. <laughs> Very so cool. That's kind of how I feel about it all. I'll say, yeah, I, I, like to, I love doing this kind of stuff. And, hey, we all try to share, you know. I didn't invent this stuff. Someone taught it to me, so why not share it well, where I can? Yeah, exactly. That's what Smoking on Confessions is all about, too. So that, that works out very nicely. So, mate, it's uh, Sunday morning for me. It's uh, Saturday evening for you. How does a barbecue restaurateur manage to get a Saturday evening off? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm very lucky on this project. It's not really my uh, – I don't run the restaurant. You know, we have good people. My partnership is with a couple named Roger and Suzanne Perry, and they've got a half a dozen restaurants here around the Tampa Bay area. And so this is a new one for them with me as a partner – but basically, they take care of all the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts stuff. So I kind of don't have a job there. We've got a young man that came to work for us from Kreitz Market in Texas that cooks the barbecue every day. With trust me, me looking over his shoulder. Don't misunderstand. But uh, I don't have the you know I don't need to be there. They can run the restaurant just fine without me. So I come and go as I please. And I I, I was in there last night for the full service for Friday night. So I figured I'd take Saturday off. Yeah, sounds fair enough to me, mate. Sounds a little bit like uh, I, I saw that film Rocky Balboa and Rocky runs around and talks to people in the restaurant. Sounds like you're doing a lot of that as well. Yeah, we call it we call it touching tables, uh, and that's exactly what I do. Well, you know, my picture's on the wall, my name's on the door. So, so even if folks didn't really, if they're not really barbecue freaks, they've learned who I am, and I'm in every every publication around town these days and on every TV station. So. They, they've learned who I am, even if they weren't fans in the beginning. Um, so, I, you know, when I come in, it's kind of a big deal, and, and I can help the whole restaurant just by basically hanging around. And then I pick stuff up off the floor. I always joke that that's really my main job, like miscellaneous stuff, like a French fry that got awry <laughs> or, a, or a napkin or, or the lid from a drink or something, and, and never any money. But, but I come home and I, I don't even think about it. I just pick it up and stick it in my pocket and I come home at night and I have all those all that combination of stuff in my pocket. So that that's my main job there. So you go to work at the restaurant at night and just come home with a pocket full of cold French fries and, and used napkins. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Somebody's gotta do it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> so what was the last well, thing? It, it's that you try to you try to uh help with that kind of thing. I, I, you know, I clear tables as well. And, and I, I do, you know, trust me, I know what's going on in the kitchen and I do help out as needed there, but basically there's a staff that's there because when I come in, I get pulled over here, this table wanted to see me. 
Uh, here's an old friend of yours over at this table. There's 25 people upstairs from some local business that are spending a bunch of money in our restaurant. So I make it a point to go up there and visit with them. I try to stay in good touch with the staff. Uh, we've got a, a, a new dishwasher that's working for us and, and he's a nice young man. And I talked to him the other day and he was telling me today that he, you know, his friends couldn't believe that he had actually gotten to spend some time with me. I mean, I'm not that big of a deal, but I guess to him it was a pretty important thing. So I said, well, come on, let's take a selfie and you can show your friends that me and you are friends are hanging out together. So, I, you know, it's just, I, it never stops. I get I'm exhausted when, I, when I'm there for four hours because it doesn't end. It, it doesn't sound like anything of, you know, great importance, but, but it doesn't end. I just, you know, bang, 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 one thing after another. Now, I'm not saying I work as hard as the servers and the guys in the kitchen. Those guys are working a lot harder, but they're younger than me. I'm getting kind of old for that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly understand that. I'm uh, I, I do Brazilian jujitsu and try and fight guys half my age and it's uh, it's getting tough. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling Ben. <laughs> so being as busy as you are with the barbecue restaurants, what was the last thing that you barbecued for yourself? Yeah, that's funny. I, I Boy, I do so little anymore cooking at home uh, because I'm at the restaurant all the time and I eat the food there all the time and it's really good. So I I never need to cook a slab of ribs at home or a pork butt or a brisket. Um, so it, it's hard. I, I did. I'm trying to remember. What did I cook recently? Well, I had some sausages that I uh, they were really good and I cooked those and I'll cook a steak at home occasionally and um, some chicken, you know, I, I, I still like to cook at home. I enjoy doing it, but I never, it's rare that I have a taste for any of the real barbecue food because it's all there right in front of me every day. And again, we're doing it really well. So I just, you know, cooking a brisket at home just doesn't need make any sense to me. There's one waiting for me right at the restaurant. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. My father was a mechanic for a while and he always used to joke that it's always the, the mechanic's personal car. That's the, um, least serviced vehicle in town <laughs> yeah chefs always joke about that we uh we end up eating our dinner uh hunched over the garbage can at midnight <laughs> yeah. kind of when it happened uh yeah so what um what barbecue or grill do you have on your porch right now well i've been working for big green egg for about 16 years now so it's no surprise there's three of those in my backyard uh, there's another one in my garage and another one in my garage. And then I have a trailer that's got a little a refrigerator and a sink in there. And, and there's three of them in there. And I do have an FE 100 that I still have around uh, for a little bit bigger cooking. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is. A Cook Shack Fast Eddie 100 pellet smoker. I've had that for years. Eddie's an old friend of mine. And so when I need a bigger job, I use that. But, but other than that, I'm, you know, I just, I'm all in on big green egg for years now, but Boy, I, you know, I always say, and it sounds, I don't mean to be a jerk, but uh, there's a, I'm pretty sure I could find another grill company to hire me if I wanted to change, and I don't want to change. I'm a big fan of Big Green Egg, and that's what I like to cook on. Yeah, so I I met you in Kansas City, and you were there doing some um, some demo work with Big Green Egg. What else do you do with them? Um, I, I'll, I'll develop recipes for them. I go to their, they have these egg fests around the country. Uh, they, they host one, the corporate hosts one in Atlanta in October called Eggtoberfest. And because of that, 
And that one's grown to 5,000 people. And because wow. of that, the smaller ones have sprung up around the country. Some of them not that much smaller. Uh, and and it's a, a big festival. At the big one in Atlanta, there'll be about 250 eggs lit and cooking. And people cooking on them and other people walking around just sampling the food. And so... So it's a uh, it's really become this this culture thing. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time with that. We we go to trade shows that you know the public doesn't necessarily see. Um, they do use me in their point of sale stuff. If you walk in the store, you may see a, a picture of me with a bunch of QR codes on it, and they're questions. So the question is, what makes the green egg so special? And then you, you if you click on that code, it'll show you a video of me explaining the answer answering the question for you and and uh, a lot of you know stuff like that and, and frankly a lot of it is just uh in motion you know i i do it every day here i am right now i'm talking about big green egg right now um because i've just had this long relationship so it, it's a lot of it is is oh maybe subtle is the right word or just a little bit discreet you know not so much wacky upside the head but I'm going to do a event up in Chicago with some, an old friend of mine up there is hosting a barbecue event at the NASCAR race. I don't know you guys, I don't know if there's any NASCAR followers in Australia, but it's stock car racing and they invited me. So I'm going up there. Well, big green egg will bring up a couple big green eggs for me because I'm there doing this. And that's what I cook on. So a lot of it is just sort of integrated into my life at this point and and that's how you know, I, I always find that to be the best anyway i i've had so tired of can anyone cook anything anymore without uh tagging the grill that it was cooked on and the the place they ordered the meat from <laughs> and the charcoal they used and and who made the the, the pair of tongs that they're using you know i I, that stuff just gets so old. It's just it, try to act like you've been there before. That's a saying we have here. You act like you've been there before, which means don't you know? Don't get so excited over that one thing. You know, pretend like you kind of knew that was going to happen. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point because it um, everyone these days seems to want to become a brand ambassador, and you actually genuinely are a brand ambassador. So that's an uh, <laughs> that, that's a very interesting point of view. It's a funny way to say it, Ben, but it's true. Um, you know, and I, I get it. I really do. But, you know, we were both recently at the National Barbecue Association conference there in Kansas City. And I, my takeaway from that, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've worked for some big brands over the years in a legitimate fashion, you know, and, and I know how to do it. And frankly, when they don't want to pay me anymore, or it's, you know, say it that way, or you could say what a project has ended and they do, you move on. I don't keep tagging them because they're not paying me anymore. I mean, they, the reason I, the reason I try to tell you about a product is because they're paying me. That's, that's what a brand ambassador does. Uh, somehow we evolved to, um, a free bag of charcoal makes you a brand ambassador. And, and frankly, it's, uh, does this, tra does this saying translate? Why buy the cow when you're getting the milk for free? Yes, we do have that exact same expression. <laughs> okay. That that's how I feel about it. So anyway, at the conference we were at, there was 500 people there. Uh, and I think 450 of them were brand ambassadors. Well, <laughs> who exactly were they? If you're if, if it's a 450 influencers out of 500, who exactly are you influencing? Um, 
You know what I mean? It's like there was a, I, I, that was a, it was really disturbing to me, the whole situation. I get it. I don't blame everybody. I, I, you know, I faked it before I made it a little bit too. I'm not going to say I didn't, we all do. Um, but I, I, it's gone so far now and, and I'm really disappointed because it makes it hard to get someone to pay you when they've got, they may not be the best ambassadors, but they've got 50 of them that are all working for free product. And that's, you know, why would they pay me when they got all 50 of those guys doing it for basically nothing? And, and I know that may ruffle some feathers, but I, I don't, I wish guys wouldn't do that. You know, if someone won't actually write you a check and give you some, some actual love for being that ambassador. I just told you, I'm a, a lot of, on the point of sale stuff in, in a lot of the big hardware stores in the U S because of big green A. Well, that's, that's a real brand ambassador, you know, just because someone gave you a hat and some charcoal and, and you hit a bunch of hashtags for them. That's, uh, that doesn't seem like a real deal to me. And frankly, it waters down the real deals. So I, I it, that disappoints me. And, it, and it's hard to, it's hard to maneuver in that world because how do you decide who really is an, an, an influencer? Um, you know, there was a time when there were a half dozen of us that got all the calls, and I think we're genuinely are. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm in a negotiation with somebody right now, and I said, well, I don't know how to say this right, but I'm a professional spokesman. This is really what I do. This is how I pay my mortgage, and I know how to do it. Um, I'm not just going to tell you that, I don't know, you know, I'm going, I don't want to go too far and beat up on everybody. Uh, again, I faked it before I made it too. And I, I, I like to see guys trying to get ahead. It's all good for the world of barbecue. I just wish guys would uh, understand that if you hold off a little bit, you might get something better than some free stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, uh, my wife's profession when she was living in the States was raising sponsorship for Habitat for Humanity. And uh, she she rails on this topic. She uh, this idea of what's the difference between being being sponsored by a company and being a brand ambassador for the company? Because we're finding the same thing over here in the barbecue scene over here. You're getting you know, like you said, you're getting a free bag of charcoal or two, and suddenly you're parading yourself around as a as the brand ambassador. And uh, yeah, she gets really worked up on that. Yeah, I do too. I'm being nice about it, frankly, because I, I, again, I, I, you know, I, I've had some success, so I, I don't want to tell everybody they're wrong, but it's just the nature of the internet is what it is. Uh, you know, everybody can, when I was first in the early nineties, I, I created a barbecue rub and it was actually a, what we call a private label thing. I went to a company and they had some products that they sold only in the commercial world. And they said, well, we, we could help you create one or you can use this product right here that we don't sell anywhere in a jar and, and we could put your label on it and you can buy it and sell that, and which is a normal way of doing business over here. I assume it is over there as well. Um, and I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So, so I did. Well, I had to hire a guy to create a logo. I had to go to a, a logo place. I had to... I had to go to a label maker and have these labels made. I had to make sure. Now, now you can, that's fine. I mean, if a guy has a product, he still has to do that. But now you can spend about 30 minutes online and have a whole persona for yourself that really looks good. That, you know, logos and colors and pictures of yourself doing this and, 
and and make it look like you really have done a lot of stuff and and you know it's it's certainly a whole lot easier um and unfortunately that that helps to water it down and then we get to the award situation with competitions as well uh you know people can take anything and spin it into a, a pretty good career um i always tell folks so every weekend around here there's in the u.s there's probably a hundred barbecue contests or more and and every one of them gives out 10 awards for each of four categories and then maybe an extra category and then they give away a couple of overall trophies so basically they're giving away about 50 trophies and awards every one of these 100 contests at the end of the weekend there's 5,000 trophies that gave out so you know it's not that hard to win a couple of eighth places and, and a third and you're now award-winning and uh you know it's it's fine it's 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 nice and all but it's much like the uh the the certified judging barbecue judging program uh you know I, that was certainly a good idea in the beginning and it's been a great marketing tool for the barbecue society but i always joke that i my by the way my judge my kcbs judging number is 743 nine, 738 i believe it is um so i'm one of the first you know 800 that ever did that i i believe now you'd be in the 100,000 range uh of your number of people that have taken it so 100,000 people have taken that course to be a certified barbecue judge you know how many have failed <laughs> zero <laughs> zero exactly zero um so while it's a great program and a really good thing it's a little offensive to me that, you know, everyone brags about this as an actual accomplishment. I had some people in the restaurant the other day, a guy was with a friend of mine and a friend of mine who did not that savvy to it tells me afterwards, well, you know, he's a certified barbecue judge. So I told him the story I just told you. And then we had the master judge program show up, which was a really another good idea because think about it, that hundred thousand people, if every one of them went home or went to their town or to their their next cook-off or cook-out at their friend's house and said, you know, I'm a barbecue judge. I'm a certified barbecue judge. Well, this spreads the gospel of barbecue in a great way. So how could I be, you know, not think that's a good idea? Cause, and I do think it's a good idea. Unfortunately, we should have taken it a little more seriously. Um, so the, then became master judge. Uh, and originally for a long time, all you really had to do was show up 30 times. Uh, I used to joke that uh, Tony Stone, I don't know if you ever, if you know, who Tony was, Tony was a, he's a legend in our world. Um, and Tony said that um, he, Tony was actually the only, the second KCBS president. Uh, um, Gary, Gary Wells was president for life because Gary and Carolyn founded it. And, uh, you know, this is the stories I can tell you, Ben, because uh, I was there. Gary Wells was my friend and uh, Gary had passed away. So we had, we needed to have a new president. We didn't know what do you do? And Tony Stone was uh, the heir apparent, which was good. Everybody was happy. And so Tony became it. But Tony used to say that you could have showed up if they would sign your, your certified judging book for showing up and eating, doing dessert judging on Friday night. And so Tony used to say, you could become a master judge without ever actually eating any barbecue and uh that, you know that's what it became so now they've they've tightened the reins on that a little bit which is a good thing um what they didn't do was create a 
standard for these products. What should a KCBS championship rib be? Nobody ever wanted to offend anybody, so we just kind of wishy-washed around. And meanwhile, these standards occurred. Um, instead of making it with, you know, lock 10 of us in the room, 10 of the old you know, people have been around for a long time in the room and make come up with a standard, we avoided it, and it evolved through the judging tent what the standard was. And and that's disappointing to me because now it, the standard is chicken thighs. Well, I come back when I started. My first KCBS trophy is right over here in my office. It's, I won it in 1991, and it's for poultry. It's for third place in poultry. And that day I cooked a turkey because turkey was allowed. The category <laughs> in 1991 was poultry. I cooked a whole turkey, and I sliced them off, and I turned it in, and I came in third. Uh, you could have cooked a duck uh, or some quail, for that matter. Uh, so it evolved to be chicken. Of course, that was a good idea. Was it? A, but then we would cook whole chickens. We would cook. We would turn in some breast meat, some wings, some thighs, some leg. Um, we, we would cook these big roaster chicken breasts and and cut them so that they could take a piece off. And and then somewhere along the way, it evolved to thighs. And and okay, occasionally you'll see a leg now, but um, it, it's not. It's no longer chicken. It's chicken thigh. Frankly, the category, you know, and and that's disappointing. I, you should have to learn how to cook some white meat. At the Jack Daniels, they require white meat to be turned in. And I get to judge every year, and you'll get a box of six thighs and literally one wing flapper, like not the not the the drumette part, the flapper part. One of those in the box with six thighs. I mean, that's just snubbing your nose at the process. And I'm not sure a wing is white meat anyway. You know, you want to we just say white meat? Come on, that's the breast, and that's hard to cook. So rather than cook that, you just don't do it. Um, and that disappoints me. And some of the things we've done, like the pork, the money muscle thing, no no barbecue experts, legends, freaks, uh, you know, would have gotten in a room and said, let's do that. Let's make it so you just take this one muscle off the pork butt and you slice it so it looks like a pork tenderloin. There, there, I don't know a restaurant in the country where you can buy that. So how did that become the barbecue norm? And, and that stuff disappoints me. Um, we should have blocked that somewhere along the way uh, because it's just from a culinary point of view, that's just not, doesn't make any sense to me. So, and, and I don't blame the cooks because what are you going to do? If that's what wins now, somehow the judges have deemed that the standard. Um, if you're, a competition cook you got to meet that what what else can you do you know you, you can buck the system but uh, it's not going to work out very well for you so i, I kind of wish that wouldn't have happened so it sounds like you're you're sort of firmly um you like like you've got uh strong roots in in both competition barbecue and uh i'll call it professional barbecue restaurateur catering all that sort of you know, large scale barbecue, is that disconnect between competition barbecue and real world barbecue? Is that the reason that you are not in competitions um, anymore? Um, it's certainly part of it. Uh, I, you know, it also, it's time consuming and, and I just, you know, because of it's, it's kind of, it's a, because of my success in competition, I became a big name and now I have these other projects that, mean I don't have much time to do competition. So, so it's, it's, it's that uh, as well. Um, frankly, the other thing is if you don't do it a lot, it's hard to be any good at it. Uh, I haven't done one in a while. Last time I did this a couple of years ago and, and I just felt like a fish out of water. I just, you know, I wasn't 
familiar with it. When you're doing it a lot, you go through the motions like anything else. It's it's even muscle memory, you know, and, and you got your list of everything you need and, and you have everything in your trailer and you know exactly how you're planning to cook that that today where where I haven't done it in a while. I might be meandering while I'm out there cooking, deciding to do a different thing. So, so you know, the time is not only time to do one, the time to do I – w- I probably won't do it again unless I have time to do 10 in the span of a couple of months or a few months, I guess would be the right way to say it. Um, so I probably wouldn't do that unless I had time to really commit to a series of them. Um, and I suspect that I will, but, but I gotta be honest. Yeah, it is disappointing. I, I, I'm one of the guys back in the day, we were creating different ways. You know, we truly held our, our rub recipe close to our, to the vest because I was making my rub at home and it truly was mine and barbecue sauce uh barbecue sauce we serve at the restaurant and i would make that and and store it up can it for myself for the for the sauce and that's what i use creativity is is not rewarded and and that's not fun to me. I, I like to be able to cook on the fly. I'd like to just show up with, with a, a case of whole chickens and decide what I'm going to cook when I get there. Um, you know, that's the kind of cooking I like to do. I, you know, you go on chopped and, and I don't think they show it over there. I'm sure they do. Chopped is, is a fun thing for me when I did that because you have to and make something out of it. And, and it's gotten so far away from that. They're, I call them technicians, the guys that cook beef these days um and and, you know again it's not a a slap at them because they're really good at what they do um it's just kind of not my thing so it's a combination of things um but certainly yeah certainly i i I wouldn't look forward to cooking poached chicken thighs every weekend anymore and you know it might sound bad but it's true i I do yeah i mean i started so so one day i was darren worth you know darren is from smoky d's yeah over here here he's won just what everything there is to win yeah. and darren's a good guy and and i helped darren in the early days he was starting and i was pretty i was very well established and, and he's a nice guy so we became friends and one day i was fussing about the whole money muscle thing and he said well you're the guy that taught me how to do it and i hadn't thought about that uh i never he it was different i i was taking i was teaching a lot of classes at the time because I, I was really the first guy that was still winning and teaching classes and i was i would show guys how to butterfly this pork butt uh leave it whole but we would butterfly it so they ended up with that series of muscles down on the end kind of like uh uh coal, you know coal, the italian deli meat that's what it reminds me of with the, the handful of little muscles there. And that's how I would do it in Kansas city. It seemed to me I was finding that in restaurants. They were probably buying collars and just cooking them and slicing them. But anyway, I, I started to teach people to do that. And right about the same time, Chris Lilly, it was, had done a, a video for, with the national barbecue news. I mean, this is the beginning of this stuff, you know, we, we were all, it was a, I believe they were uh, VHS tapes originally Chris's videos and Chris had this Memphis in May presentation where he would dissect the whole shoulder for the judge. And he made reference to the money muscle, which was the, the muscle down on the end. And so it was kind of the same time. And I think the two things are, came together and because uh, guys were hungry for information. You know, there wasn't all these books and there wasn't YouTube and there wasn't all this information out there. So guys were hungry for what was available. 
So I think a lot of people probably took my class and, and spoke with me and spoke with people who did and also looked at Chris's videos. And I think that is probably the, the genesis of the money muscle thing. And then it got refined and refined to what it is now. And so and, and while it, it bothers me, I got to take some of the blame for it. You know, I was, I was also right on the chicken thigh bandwagon. There was a guy named Jumpin' Jim out of Iowa that, that created this uh, uh, chicken thigh concept with, uh, you know, what was happening was it was an evolution. You know, when, I, when we first used to show up with a cooler of beer and a cooler of meat, one of the things I used to tell new cooks, make sure you bring your lettuce in a separate cooler. Because I, I can't tell you how many guys had their beer and their lettuce in the same cooler. So by the time it was time for turning, the lettuce was all beat up. But we just weren't that, that serious about it and that you know, we were really talked about the meat and we were trying to learn how to cook the meat better. And, and so it, it, it was this, this changing time. There was a guy named Mike Scrutchfield, um, top secret barbecue, I think was the name he used. And he had a new Remax name at some point too. He was a realtor in Kansas city. And Mike was the first guy that started looking at this stuff and saying, well, wait a minute, uh, I can do this better and I can do it the same way. And how can I put this in the box that's going to influence the judge when he opens the lid? As opposed to, I'm going to make this look nice, but it's really tasting good. Mike started changing his presentations and, and really thinking about it. There's a story about Mike Strutchfield that he went home from work 60 days in a row and cooked chicken because he wanted to get it just right. And, and it's true. Mike was just an obsessed guy. And so there was a, there was a handful of us at the time. Ed Royce was the guy that uh, is still around, Ed, and you see him occasionally. But Ed was a, a big-time cook at the time, doing real well in Kansas City. And Ed was going to the university in Kansas to the meat science lab and, and asking him. Ed was the first guy that explained to me what a smoke ring was about and how that had happened and, and why it happened and how you could enhance it. Um, None of us knew that before that. Uh, there was a guy named Charlie Note, K-N-O-T-E, out of St. Louis. He was a meat scientist, and he wrote a book. It was a like a, a, a comb-bound book that he almost looked like he made it in his basement. But Charlie explained <laughs> things about to us about cooking brisket, like uh, that brisket would begin to break down at uh, I was in the neighborhood of 165 degrees or something like that, the internal temp. And around in the 180s there, it would begin to aggressively dry out. So if you could hold your brisket at 175 for an extended period of time, it would get tender and it wouldn't get dry. Now, to this day, a lot of cooks don't understand that and don't respect it. They think that somehow 204 is the magic number. That's not the magic number. The magic number is what happened along the way. just so happens that it all ends about 204 for you on a pretty regular basis the way you cook. So we were all starved for this info. And again, there was no YouTube. There wasn't all these cookbooks. And I mean, now there's so many cookbooks that, that we, were, we were changing it. And, and so, you know... While, while I, I, I balk at some of the things they do now, unfortunately, I'm guilty of having start, started creating some of it. That's a heck of a long answer, huh? <laughs> Mate, that was great. That was fantastic. I might actually well, I'm use I'm very it. lucky. I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, lived all that. You know, I mean, I've, it's true. those are all true stories. And those are real people. And a lot of them have been forgotten at this point. 
Yeah, I guess that makes some um, things like this important then, just to sort of preserve that, preserve a bit of that history. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's another thing along the way. You know, you said I, I've lived a lot of both sides of it. Well, there's a lot of different sides of it. I, accidentally, somewhere along the way, I became a barbecue historian. You know, I, I do know a lot of the history, and, and I I care about it deeply. And um, I, I, you know, sometimes I worry we get away from it a little too far. Like you said that, you know, competition barbecue and real-world barbecue are not very much the same. Um, I've been involved a, a lot in England on the barbecue situation. I, I started going over there years ago, right when Case, before KCBS was a thing there, and I was helping these guys do grill stock, the original grill stock, and we were guys didn't understand. They didn't know anything about barbecue over there at that point. Unfortunately, the first wave of of barbecue information was KCBS type stuff. You know, they all just went online because the timing was just right. They all went online and learned to ship some blues hog over and and get some American cut briskets. And they started cooking exactly like the competition guys over here. And I was like, oh, you missed that step where we learn how to cook like uh, like Kreitz Market or like Arthur Bryant's and and uh, those kind of guys. And that that was, you know, that's kind of sad to me. I don't know what's happened in Australia. I suspect it's the same. It is quite similar to what you just explained, yeah. But, it's you know, at the end of the day, What's happening now, we're kind of circling back to it. And, and you got to give a lot of credit to Aaron Franklin. You know, um, Aaron became the, the poster child of, of cooking barbecue the old-fashioned way. I, I, I go through this a lot with people, too. It's like we want to go back to old school, you know, the, the roots of barbecue. Well, okay, I wrote in one of my books years ago that if you want to do that, that would be great. Um, but everybody just needs to show up at the cook-off in their underwear, basically, you know, cause, uh, cause you're going to have to build yourself an ax and you're going to have to chop some wood and you're going to have to build something to go <laughs> hunt an animal. And, and then you're going to have to dig a hole in the ground. Now, you know, I'm willing to let you go up a little bit further than that, but you know, anything forward of that is not the origins of barbecue. Uh, just because a guy in Texas took a piece of oil pipe and made an offset cooker one day. Well, that was a really good idea. And certainly has caught on and, and, and had a huge influence on barbecue, but it doesn't precede cooking in a hole in the ground because um, that's where it started. And frankly, what would have what could have possibly come first anywhere on the planet before meat and fire? Um, you know, nobody said, well, I've got this piece of meat and I got this fire. Maybe I'll build a pot to cook it in. You know, the meat got into fire somehow and that's that was the first cooking anyone ever did. I, I, no one can explain to me how that couldn't have been the first thing that happened. Yeah, I'd imagine that uh, putting meat on fire would have come before, you know, mass-produced aluminium pots and all that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you know, so we we none of us are doing it the original way. Uh, you know, you you, I, I said that you, in that book that. Everybody wanted to let progress go to where they happen to be standing. You know, um, if you like to cook on pellets, you want to let progress at the time. The, pellet, the whole pellet thing was fairly new. And it was like, okay, if you want to let progress go all the way to anything, um, pellet cookers were the thing, you know, but just because you want to stop just short of pellet cookers doesn't make you an old school guy. 
you know the the uh, again somebody had to make that oil pipe before we had an offset cooker that's that's pretty far into civilization yeah exactly exactly but it, it's all good though i've also been very blessed to see the advancement the popularity of barbecue you know you just see um um it was gone from being an obscure thing that nobody cared about. Uh, I grew up in Chicago and, and I was there trying to learn how to cook barbecue. And in Chicago, we had barbecue, but it was really in the, the, the black neighborhoods because those guys had migrated to Chicago from the south. Uh, the white people had come through Ellis Island from Europe. So they didn't know real barbecue when I was young. That was the deal. Um, so ribs were the by far the most popular barbecue item you would have found in Chicago, just how it went. A lot of it was cooked in steakhouses, and it wasn't true barbecue, but that's what everyone ate. So recently I was there when we were getting ready for the restaurant and eating in a bunch of barbecue restaurants, and I kept asking, what's the number one menu item? And everywhere it was brisket. And 30 years ago when I was there, brisket was not something you would have found anywhere. I mean, literally anywhere on a menu because we just didn't, they couldn't get it. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know how to cook it. So, so, you know, I'm proud that we have evolved barbecue so far and it's pretty cool that it's swinging back from that competition barbecue to pretty genuine barbecue. Call it whatever you want. This is Trevor from Aussie Pit Boys. You're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions. If you want good barbecue, you need good charcoal. And when it comes to charcoal, the denser the wood, the better the charcoal. This is where Dragon's Breath Charcoal comes in. It's made from Australian native Gigi, famous for being the third most dense wood in the world, which means you're going to get 100% quality 100% of the time. The manufacturer of Dragon's Breath Charcoal was founded in 2005 and is the largest charcoal manufacturer in Queensland. A company founded in firm principles and values, the manufacturers of Dragon's Breath seek out opportunities to serve the community, starting with their work in the environmental restoration of Southwest Queensland sheep and cattle stations. Over the years, they've developed dietary charcoal products for livestock and horses and pets. And now there's garden and agricultural soil products that help keep moisture in the soil while it takes CO2 out of the atmosphere. Dragon's Breath Charcoal will be launching on Amazon in November, so stay tuned for more info soon. So I can't have the Dr. Barbecue on the show and not pick his brain about something. And you did mention this in the uh, previous segment. So I thought we might have a bit of, uh, bleh, so I thought that we might have a bit of a chat about chicken. Yeah, sure. Chicken certainly something I like to cook. Awesome. So what's your favorite way to do chicken? These days, I like to cook it indirect and hot. So... In the green egg, it actually it's pretty it's easy to do it, but any grill should be able to set this up. So 500 degrees, but indirect. So what I get is this hot roasting, crispy skin kind of thing. It cooks pretty fast. Uh, if I cook thighs with just the one bone in there, they'll cook in about 25 minutes. Uh, and but the skin is crispy as could be. And the meat is juicy and quickly cooked. It's not smoked chicken by any stretch, um, but it's it's pretty fun because it's it's. Now you gotta be careful. You can't use a rub with too much sugar in it because it'll definitely burn if you do that. But I usually use like 
either just salt and pepper or maybe a little little garlic onion on there. Or we have these Creole spice we get here that comes in the they're typically in a cardboard shaker. I don't know if you see that over there, but oh, I love uh, that stuff. Basically salt pepper. Yeah, salt, pepper, onion, garlic, and cayenne is really about what it is. Um, and there's no sugar, so it won't burn, and it's real finely grained. Um, so that's that's a real nice touch for it, because that way it won't burn as much. And you got to be careful, because you will. It can burn, uh, but it's fun when you get it just right. I mean, you're talking crispy, caramelized, crunchy skin, and and juicy meat on the inside. So that, currently, that's my favorite way to do it. Um, Occasionally, I like to smoke some chickens, you know, maybe a half or a whole chicken, smoke it low and slow, get that pink, juicy, smoky meat. But frankly, unfortunately, when you do that, the skin is usually like leather. So it's 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 a different thing. If you're going to do that, you might want to make tacos out of it or something because because you've got just the meat or just eat it. But uh, the skin becomes kind of useless at that point. Um, but, and, and I've always liked, I've always been a drumstick guy. So even for that hot and fast, uh, I mean, when I say hot and fast, I'm saying hot and fast. Uh, I like to do drumsticks like that. That's been always been my favorite cut. And the only Jack Daniels trophy I have is a, a jug that I won in, oh, I don't know, the early two thousands. And it was for chicken and it was for some chicken legs. And I didn't cook them hot and fast like that. I cooked them slow in my smoker, but, um, but I've always been a drumstick guy. Or fried chicken. <laughs> That's really my current passion is fried chicken. But, you know, don't tell all the barbecue freaks that. <laughs> Have you seen this um, this whole fried, not fried chicken that's uh, popping up on social media recently? Uh, I have. Actually, I've been meaning to try that. The, the Big Green Egg guys have been doing that for a long time. They used to just use, uh, I think, cornstarch is what they were using, or baking soda. I, I don't remember. Um and, and no, I, ha- I haven't tried it. I really should. Well, I, I actually ate some. There was a, a guy in, in, in England when we were going to Grillstock, a guy named Simon Dyer. And Simon actually turned that in at the cook-off. We, had, we did it. When we did Grillstock, we did some different rules because we didn't want it to quickly evolve to everybody just cooking the same thing. And, and Simon was always really adventurous. And he made some, uh, some like that. And his, his was really breaded. Uh, I don't know what current status is. The, the green egg guys used to just put cornstarch on it, and it would just become really crispy skin. Uh, Simon made it. It was like fried chicken, except it was cooked on the grill. So I don't know what they're currently doing, but I haven't tried it, but I certainly like to. It sounds good to me. I think the most recent uh, form of breading I've seen is uh, crushed up Doritos. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. What, so you put that, you just kind of bread it as if you were going to fry it and then cook it on the grill? I mean, do you like dip it into egg wash or something? I believe so, yeah. The, um, the, the, the different posts and things I've been following has been um, there's an egg wash and then a, a breading mix, which is um, it's a flour, spices, and these crushed up Doritos. And uh, the, the photos of, of how it comes out just looks amazing. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I mean, I may tackle that tomorrow. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that you love uh, drums and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I lived in Korea for two years, and I once accidentally ordered something called uh, buldakbal, which is spicy chicken feet. And when I say spicy, I mean really spicy. Like my wife and I had to go to the pharmacy (laughs) across the street and get some medication afterwards just to calm our stomachs down. But the feet themselves... (laughs) The, the feet themselves were surprisingly delicious. So what's the most exotic chicken dish you've eaten? 
Oh, I'm pretty wimpy like that, man. I see them. Yeah, I, I see the feet around in different places, and I'm generally will pass on that. Uh, I, I, as a, you know, you're gonna be a chef. You got to eat whatever's in front of you, and I always will. Luckily, nobody's actually put those in front of me, so I have not sought them out. Uh, I even like when we go to the UK, we see, you know, in the US, everything is so cleaned up for us. The chickens in the store don't have any feet on them. The neck is cut off and there's no head accidentally hanging on. There's no feathers left on them. Everything is so cleaned up for us here. We're so, you know, we don't see that sort of thing. So it's like alarming to me when I see a chicken in the store in the UK with, with his head on there and his feet on there. So I, even the extended like legs, when they leave that last leg piece on there, U.S. people are not used to seeing that. So I'm pretty bad like that. I'll avoid that. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Nashville hot chicken, <laughs> which is not that interesting, but it's, that's for me, that's it. It's funny that you mentioned just how cleaned up the meats are in the States because it's, it's very much the same way over here. And I was having a conversation with my, with my son. I got a, I, my son's seven years old. And we were eating this uh, this delicious steak, and he said, "Oh, Daddy, this is so yummy." I said, "Yeah, this um, this is a very delicious piece of cow." And he looked at me and he said, "Cow?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Daddy, we don't hurt animals." And I just laughed. I said, <laughs> "I said, mate, where do you think the meat comes from?" And so then we had this big conversation about where the meat comes from and farming and and all this sort of stuff. And he's he's uh, he's come to terms with it and he understands it all now but yeah it was a very um that particular moment when he just looked at me and said daddy we don't hurt animals that was when i went wow there's a massive disconnect here yeah they truly didn't understand yeah we've got the, the well they're not really our grandkids but they they live life as our grandkids across the street and they the one at one point decided she was going to be a vegetarian and we said that's fine we'll support you any way you want but then she didn't know that meant she couldn't eat bacon. Um, and and <laughs> they they like chicken nuggets and chicken strips. So we went to, there's a thing here called Medieval Times. I don't know if they got them over there. It's a, it's a dinner theater show and it's uh, guys on horseback jousting. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's a whole fun medieval thing that you go do. And so we took the kids. And so the dinner is all eaten with your hands. You don't get any, any utensils. You get your soup in a big, crock and you get your uh, potato is a half a potato that you have to just bite it and eat it and you get a corn on the cob and you get a half a chicken and these kids the one was she was probably eight she had never they were all excited about it and I was sitting next to her and when they play they kind of flop it on your plate you know in an unceremoniously way and uh, they she she was she didn't know what to make of that she freaked out because she never saw anything it looked like that on her plate before. And I calmed her down and put some of the meat off of it, and she ate it. But it's so true. It's it's a shame that we've gotten that far. And in fairness, uh, you know, I, I think about we have what we call boxed beef. Uh, you know, in my lifetime, when I would go to the butcher when I was young, the, the butcher would have bought a half a cow, and he cut it up, and he had to figure out how to get you to buy the, you know, all the different pieces before he bought his next half a cow. And and, you know, that's not necessarily a good plan. Different parts of the country, different different ethnic groups like different parts of the animal. And so boxed meat solves that problem, but it just becomes so non, uh, <laughs> so, so disconnect is definitely the right word. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So just uh, looping back to, to chicken there, 
when you're barbecuing chicken, what are your favorite herbs and spices to use? It's interesting. I've really become a very plain eater over the years. I've I've made sauces over and over. I mean, I've written nine cookbooks at this point. You always got to make a bunch of rubs and a bunch of sauces to go with them. And I don't know if it's because of that or, or just the, uh, I, I think I'm just tired of it. I, so I just, and, and I'm, it's interesting as I've gotten a little older, I, I'm, I don't like things as sweet as I did, which is funny because most folks, most Americans for sure are going, making food sweeter and sweeter. Um, so with chicken though, for me, usually it'll be, like I said, that Creole spice or just like a seasoned salt, I just don't like sweet stuff on there. Oh, but I'm okay with with herbs, maybe a little thyme on there. Um, and and then sauces. I at the restaurant we've just started using a white barbecue sauce. Chris Lily's an old friend of mine. Chris's family's restaurant is that's where it all begins. White barbecue sauce. Uh, contrary to popular belief, it, as soon as you cross the line into Alabama, everybody doesn't eat white barbecue sauce on everything. <laughs> uh, but it does go pretty well on chicken, and it's kind of a fun thing to do. Um, the one we use, we use mayonnaise, vinegar, lemon juice, horseradish, salt, pepper. I think that's it. Um, it's kind of like salad dressing, frankly. So that's kind of fun. Um, and, and typically, if I'm going to do something like that, uh, I will use an occasional barbecue sauce. I rarely make any anymore. The restaurant makes my original sauce uh, every day. So... That's sort of a celery seed-based sauce. If you ever had Gates in Kansas City, I think mine is is similar to that. Uh, but it's not very sweet. So we, because of that, we decided to make a sweet sauce as well to serve at the restaurant. I never eat that. I, I, I avoid that like the plague. It's just not my thing, a sweet, sticky barbecue sauce. I do like the original one. I like – there's some, sto- uh, some store-bought sauces that I do like. Uh, actually, Dreamland Barbecue is an old place in Alabama. I got a bottle of that open right now. Uh, that actually, uh, Big Daddy Bishop is the guy that started Dreamland, and he's going into the Barbecue Hall of Fame this year. So it's pretty, pretty cool. So I, I like that one. It's a little more vinegary for sure, thinner. Uh, I don't care for these sweet, gooey sauces that we use a lot at all anymore. I mean, I know people do, so we certainly serve them at the restaurant. And I, I if I, again, if I was doing a competition, I would do that. Um, but I, I'm, I like maybe a little bit of hot sauce, maybe just some crystal hot sauce all over my chicken. That sounds kind of good to me. I know it's, it's boring, but I'm just not, even in life <laughs> outside of barbecue, I'm just not a condiment guy. I, when I go to McDonald's, I eat my a double cheeseburger plain, nothing on it except meat and cheese and a bun. And that's just how I like things. So it's, so condiments are always a problem for me. I'm just kind of a, a plain eater. Yeah, fair enough. And I hear you on the uh, on that thick, sticky barbecue sauce. I, I I've had to sort of steer clear of it since I grew this big beard because I just end up with these barbecue sauce dreadlocks in my beard. So, <laughs> but sometimes that'll get you a date, though, Ben. So you might want to try that. Well, yeah, I'm I'm not sure how my wife would feel about that, though. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, and next topic. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, which, which woods do you like to pair with chicken when you're uh, cooking it up? I'm always a fan of lighter woods. Um, less, less is better to me. So for chicken, I'm reaching, uh, cherry's always been my personal favorite. I I've always liked cherry wood 
Um, apple in a pinch if you can't get cherry. But the wild cherry we get here is, I really like it. I like the flavor of it. It's sort of a sweet smoke flavor. And also, it also enhances the color a little bit. Um, so I've always been a fan of that. And But if I need to ramp it up a little bit, I'll usually do it in combination with uh, some oak or hickory. That's so a little bit of two parts cherry, one part oak or hickory is a pretty nice combination for me. Chicken, you got to be careful. It, it For me, it doesn't take heavy smoke very well. Um, I think it's a mistake a lot of guys make, we all make when we're new. Um, it, it's When I, I talk like that, it's really, it always strikes me personally, though, that, you know, when I was learning, I was just guessing. Now everybody goes and they spend a lot of time on the internet. I, I talk to guys all the time and I say, well, you just watch 20 videos about cooking a brisket. Why don't you just go get a brisket and cook it? Um, so I always remember I bought my first offset smoker and I, my neighbor was a tree cutter. So he gave me a big old hunk of hickory wood and green. He just, just cut it. Ooh. And I started cutting off hunks of it and throwing it in the smoker. I didn't know any difference, you know? And, uh, I, I the food was just horrible. It was, it was metallic tasting and, I mean, everybody had a bellyache. You couldn't, you couldn't eat this stuff, and I didn't understand. And and I, so I learned, you know. And I tell guys this all the time: just because a little bit of smoke is good doesn't mean a lot is better. Um, by nature, we're men, and that's just how we think. And and it doesn't always work that way. So I find that if you use apple or cherry, you have less chance of that happening. Obviously, your wood doesn't need to be green either. You need to age that wood, um, but. But in, in most home smokers, for sure, oak, hickory, forget. So you may have to bleep this out, Ben, but my first cookbook, I wrote that, that mesquite wood smelled like it came from the devil's ass crack. And <laughs> I still feel that way about mesquite. Um, so I saw that line from a friend of mine, that a writer that wrote a story about us way back when cooking hogs. But anyway, that's, uh, that's what I feel about mesquite. So I, I'll never cook that. And it's different. You know, we've got a, a gigantic J&R oiler at the restaurant, O-Y-L-E-R. And it's a thousand pound smoker made in Mesquite, Texas, ironically. Um, and it, it burns only wood. It runs kind of like a, a Southern Pride or an Old Hickory, but it burns only wood. And if you don't put logs in, it'll go out. We burn oak splits in there. And uh it does fine because it's a big, well-ventilated, breathing unit. Um, most of us at home don't have that. We have something a little bit smaller. It uh, may or may not have some sort of airflow situation. Uh, and Big Green Egg, we, we dampen it down to make it work properly, and a lot of smokers do. So I don't think those things are very well suited for, for cooking with oak or hickory. I, I think, to me, the, the common woods are oak, hickory, and cherry apple. Uh, pecan, I find to be somewhere there in the middle. So, but if I'm going for it, it's, it's going to be probably apple or cherry for home cooking. Yeah, I, I find for chicken that the more subtle woods tend to give me a better overall flavor. Um, I'm afraid I'm with you with the, with, with the mesquite. When I was first starting out, I, <laughs> um, mesquite was the only thing that the local barbecues galore store had. And I brought it home and I did up this chicken with uh, using mesquite wood. And as you said, if a little bit of smoke's good, then a lot of smoke must be better. And I'd made that mistake. <laughs> sure. And we were eating it just going, well, this is gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
and yet you you just spent your whole time on it. You're thinking you're you're onto something. You're really expecting it to be delicious, and it's it's so hard to, to accept the fact that what you're eating is horrible. Oh, we we sat there and we ate the whole thing because I'd spent like a whole day preparing and doing this chicken. I was going to eat this chicken, <laughs> so we sat there and we suffered through it. But I swore I'd never use mesquite wood again. Right. And in general, we all did that. And frankly, that's the learning process of anything you do. You know, I always tell guys about their brisket when when you have to when you quit making chili out of your brisket um, and people actually ask you to cook a brisket for them. That's when you'll know you've arrived on the brisket scene. Um, As long as you're still making chili out of it, it's probably not that good. Yeah, (laughs) I am. I once made these chicken breasts that were so. Uh, dried out because I just followed the recipe. It just said, cook them at this temperature for this long. So, okay, great. I get it to that temperature. I cook it for that long. They came out like boot leather. And the only way we could eat it was my wife took the chicken breasts back inside, ran them through a food food processor with a bunch of other ingredients, and we ate it as a dip on crackers. That's <laughs> being creative. Yeah. But that's part of the that's part of the process, though. You know, I, it, it bothers me that guys won't want to experiment and try to do things. That's how you learn, you know? And again, you generally get to eat it anyway, even if you have to make it into a dip. I think that might be the first time I heard that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what's your take on the current obsession with bite-through chicken skin? Well, it's one of those things that became a, a standard that was created by the judges. And not that they got together and said, let's do that. Um, Somewhere, somehow, somebody one day said, well, that the cooks figured out that the judges were picking up this thigh and biting it. And if the whole sheet of skin came off, they were punishing the cook for that. And it's it's not fair because, like I said earlier, when you throw a, a chicken in the smoker, the skin's leathery. It's not very good. So I'm sorry, but that's how it is. Uh, and and it became this thing. I was I was pretty active at the time when that was becoming a thing, and and we didn't used to worry about that. The judge would just take the skin was a little leathery, would take it out and toss it, and not worry about it. And all of a sudden, it was becoming a thing. And so we used to try to crisp it up, and and which works and it actually makes it pretty edible and pretty good. Unfortunately, it's not so pretty. You know, it ends up being looking kind of like a crunchy piece of skin on there as opposed to these perfect little pillows that that seem to be quite you know get scored very well so so that it's one of those things that just evolved so cooks learned that if they just steam this poor chicken to death that then the judge could bite through it and i always say that so think about those those chickens you've probably eaten some of those thighs like that that are it's soft as could be that the, the chicken has a little bit of texture on us and it tastes good you know that sweet barbecue sauce on this chicken that was poached in in margarine tastes pretty good um when you bite it the texture is nice you can bite through the skin it looks good uh i always think that they should add a fourth criteria that says does this look like barbecue and and anybody being honest would have to look at those pillows of of perfectly manicured chicken and say, well, no, that doesn't look like that's not what barbecue looks like. But unfortunately, that's not a criteria. So when you're judging, I judge a lot. Well, I don't judge a lot, but I judge a few times a year regularly. And um, when you, it's I'm, it's always a dilemma because I don't feel this is really barbecue. I don't particularly love it. I would never cook it at home. 
However, it looks good, it tastes good, and it's soft and tender, so you have to give it a good score. And and so I, I understand how that happened, but, boy, we should have tried to cut that off at the pass so that it didn't come to that. Because when we say bite through skin, that's a nice word for soft skin as if the chicken had been boiled, <laughs> right? Mm. I mean, is there any other is there any other option? Tell me what other bite through skin there is that isn't that soft, mushy skin. No, you've got a very good point there. And, and so it's, that's a perfect example of one of these things that evolved and and evolved in the judging tent. And again, I'm, I'm not saying anyone maliciously said let's make this the standard. It it was just lack of. Um, lack of leadership by the organization to say, wait a minute, this is going in a bad direction. Let's, let's, in Texas, they make them cook half chickens. Well, that's a little bit different challenge to cook a half a chicken versus whatever parts you feel like. So maybe that would have been a solution. Uh, maybe, maybe no foil pans are allowed in your smoker during cooking, or I don't know. I'm not, I, you know, it's, it's, unfortunately it's a little too late now for that. Um, but but the bite through skin is absolutely one of the things I was talking about before, and that has become a serious part of of competition barbecue and not barbecue in the real world. No, I can't think of a single barbecue joint of a, that I've ever visited that had those little pillows. <laughs> right, exactly. Now uh, I, I know places that serve thighs, but you would basically grill them, or or what we do is we smoke our chicken halves. Uh, at about 325 in the big green egg. Actually, we have a giant egg. And so that way the skin gets a little bit more like a roasted chicken and, and edible. Um, smoked chicken, the skin's just not good. It's not edible. So, um, or grill them. You know, I mean, we could grill those too and they'd be pretty tasty. Grill the skin off to crunch it up a little bit. But that ruins the look of it. Like I said, the skin kind of mm. shrinks up and it doesn't look quite as nice as those little pillows. That that I, I'm that's disturbing to me that we somehow call that barbecue, uh, chicken thighs cooked in a in a bath of butter, in a pan. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not barbecue. <laughs> so, so mate, what would be your top three tips for cooking real barbecue chicken? Uh, brining is your friend. You know, I'm certainly a fan of brining. Uh, I've I'm not a fan of brining stuff for days, so it gets rubbery, like tastes like lunch meat. Um, but I think brining for you know uh, a few hours is is your friend. Brine it with something that tastes good, some herbs, some citrus, something like that. Again, none of that would be acceptable in competition, but uh, brine it for a little while, and then and then cook it a little bit hotter. I just don't find chicken does that well cooking low. Uh, it gets a little mushy. It gets pink, which scares some people. And it ruins the skin. So I, I, I'll cook my chicken at 325 or up. And I think that's a, for eating, that makes some pretty good chicken. And, and don't be afraid to cook some white meat, uh, but cook what you like. You know, in my house, it should probably would be drumsticks, occasionally thighs. Um, you know, cook what you like. It, it don't don't feel obligated to cook anything. If you If your wife likes breast meat, cook that for her. Always good advice to make sure that the wife gets what she wants. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but some folks just, they, they like to eat a little less fatty. They like to eat a little healthier. Oh, what the heck? We got to feed them too. But, but if you brine the stuff 
and then don't overcook it. That That's the key to almost all dried food. You know, when people have dry food, they all want to put a bath of water in their, in their grill and we're going to do this and do that and spritz it. And well, spritzing to me is, uh, unless you're cooking directly over a fire, spritzing is just an excuse to open the lid and peek at everything. Don't do that. And, and the pan of water is not going to help you if you overcook everything. If you take a chicken breast and at 157 degrees, you take it off that grill and let it sit there for 20 minutes, it's going to be good. It's not going to be dry, but if you cook it to 190, cause you're not sure, and eat it as soon as it comes off the grill, it's going to be dry. So, you know, if we cook things right, and chicken is, is so critical like that, get it? You got to get it cooked down by the joints if you're cooking a half or a whole chicken, but try not to cook it beyond that. And again, don't be afraid to ch- cook your chicken in parts. If, you, if you're going to cook a whole chicken, fine, cut it up and take the parts off as they're done. I, I think that's the biggest mistake people make is not – so if they don't, if they have a good instant read thermometer, which that's been a, a, you know, that's been a certainly a godsend for for helping guys cook better, um, and use it. You know, don't be afraid if you, you know, we say 160. Okay, to me that means 157, and that doesn't mean 165. And if you don't have a thermometer, so then you look at your chicken and you say, well, is that chicken done? You think, and you say, well, gee, I'm not exactly sure. So what do you do? You cook it some more because you're just not sure, and that's a that's a huge mistake. So. Uh, get your thermometer and use it and get that chicken when it's done take it off and eat got a project you'd like to work on with the shc team shoot ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation if there's one name that's synonymous with the aussie outdoors it's got to be ozpig the Ozpig is a fire pit, a stove, a grill, a barbecue, and with the latest attachments, it's a smoker now too. And with the seemingly endless array of accessories including a rotisserie, there is almost no limits to what you can do with an Ozpig. A family-owned and run business, the Ozpig was designed for one purpose, for families to be able to enjoy divine food while enjoying the great outdoors together. With a solid compact design weighing just 17 kilos and packing into its own carry case, the Ozpig is the perfect companion for your next camping, fishing or caravan trip, or even just enjoying a slice of the Aussie lifestyle in your own backyard. To get an Ozpig of your very own, check out ozpig.com.au. That's ozpig.com.au. Alrighty, Ray, it's time for our lightning round now. So I'm going to ask you 10 short questions and you'll fire right back with one word or one sentence answers. How does that sound? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Charcoal, lump or briquette? Lump all the time. Best grill for chicken? Big green egg, but that's cheating. <laughs> you, you're, you're paid to say I that. I for them. <laughs> yeah. Whole hog, up, down or running? Um, skin down. Do you cook to temp or to feel? Yes. You're supposed to, you got to use all those things. Temp, feel, experience, smell, look. And if you got to cut into it and, and eat a piece of it, do that. Money muscle, fantastic or overrated? Overrated. When it comes to offset smokers, standard or reverse flow? I would probably go standard. What's one tip or trick you wish you'd known sooner? I think I wish I would have known that less smoke is better. Ooh, very nice. When it comes to brisket, do you wrap in paper, foil, or not at all? 
I wrap in paper and I am just mad at myself that I didn't think of that in the first place. <laughs> okay. Social media videos, the squeeze test. Is that a valid test or bulldust? Uh, what exactly are you squeezing? Uh, say a brisket or a no. rib. <laughs> On a rib? I like a beef so, rib. So obviously I'm not a fan of that because I don't even know what it is. Okay. All right. You should always feel the meat. You know, touching the meat with your fingers is absolutely something you should do. Very cool. If there were a fantasy barbecue league, who would you choose for your team? Tubby Stone, Chris Lilly, and Darren Worth. Woo! Straight to the top. Very cool. Pretty sure they're on everybody's team. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, mate, that's it for the interview for today. But before I let you go, I want to uh, throw the studio open to you so you can give some shout-outs to whoever you want to say thank you to and also tell all the listeners where they can track you down. Uh, thanks for having me, Ben. It's it's fun to talk to everybody in Australia. I've been, try, I've been trying to get there. One of these days I'll come and hang out with you guys and cook some barbecue. Uh, I'm not hard to find. You Google Dr. Barbecue, you'll find me everywhere. Awesome. Well, look, mate, thanks very much for your time. And I I understand and I appreciate just how busy you are. It's a Saturday night for you. You're probably just getting ready to go out nightclubbing now. Um, so I will let you go and, and, and get your groove on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ben, thanks a lot, man. Let me know when it comes up. How long will it be? Uh, probably still a couple of weeks at this stage. I'm still finalizing some of the guests that I met when I was over at, uh, at Kansas City. And then I'll be starting to put them out after that. Okay, cool. So FYI, I will be in England from the 17th. I will be there well, from the 18th through the 23rd. Just kind of interesting. I don't know if you got any listeners over there, but it's kind of an interesting spin if it happened when I was over there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try and line that up. Okay. Well, whatever. Let me know when it happens. Will do. All right. Thank you so much. And there you have it, family, the lowdown on the Dirty Bird right from Ray, Dr. Barbecue Lampy. That was a huge privilege for us, and I want to send my thanks and appreciation out there to him. He's very clearly a busy man, so it was awesome that he was able to step into the confessional for such a long time. Before I let you go, I want to remind you about our killer merch lineup, the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook, and if you have a minute, it'd really help me out if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show. The ratings and reviews trigger the algorithms and make Apple distribute the podcast further and wider, so they are really important and very much appreciated. And that's the end of the show. Till next time, take care of each other and keep on curing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions. Confessions.